Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get into what we're talking about this week, I wanted to encourage you to go listen to the previous two episodes, which are the Sunday edition all about escapism, um, which is literally the next episode down in the, in the feed and whatever app you're using to listen to me right now, and the episode all about what I'm watching this season, which is a nice, short, concise, like, hey, these are the three shows that I'm watching that you should probably look out for me to talk about um, that I most wanted to highlight, at least, of the season. Um, but, on that note, let's jump right into the show that we're talking about, and that is a show that you don't hear discussed that much, and I've... I'm going to get into why in this episode, and that is a show called Ikebukuro Westgate Park.
Now, for those of you who don't haven't heard of this show, it doesn't actually surprise me. Um, so I want to get into kind of the release history of this show and why I'm actually surprised a lot of people probably haven't heard of it before. Um, so the first thing is that it was released in 2020 and it it started airing on December of 2020 and uh, actually it air, it started airing um, on October of 2020 and finished in December. So it's like that solid like late fall, early winter season kind of thing. And so 12 episodes show, so it's not, there's not a ton of episodes of it, there's only one season. Um, and the reason why I'm saying I'm fairly surprised that people may not have heard of it, or that I don't see buzz about it at all really, is because of A, the kind of show it is, which I'll get into in a second, but B, it, it aired in the 2020, like, nightmare year, which interestingly enough makes it like uh, one of the we happy few kinds of things because all kinds of things were getting delayed and pushed off because of COVID and of the work environment issues that COVID made with like working at home and like working at home on projects that normally wouldn't leave the building kind of thing made kind of opened up a space for stuff that wouldn't have succeeded to succeed if it was ready in time. You saw this with things like in video games, you saw this with the massive boom that Animal Crossing New Horizons um, experienced. That was super popular because nobody had anything else to fucking do when they're sitting in their home and it was like a, it was a social, it was a game that could be social and you could hang out with your friends. It was a game where you, it was just, it was a fun game that you could play with your friends and like, you could feel like you were outside when you couldn't be outside. Um, and everybody, including my friend Kie, hi Kie, got into Animal Crossing. Kie, like many people, bought a Nintendo Switch for that game because she saw streamers playing it online. That's how big of an explosion Animal Crossing had. And I, I played Animal Crossing New Horizons for the same reason for a period of time. Um, but, on that note, there was a real opportunity for stuff that maybe would have been in the middle of the pack to rise to the top. And this show really didn't. Um, so, the other reason why I am surprised that this show didn't catch on is because of what it was trying to do. So, there's a particular breed of show that this, that um, Ikebukuro Westgate Park kind of draws from. And that breed of show is of the Dorara, um, Black Lagoon, kind of oeuvre of shows. And if you're like, what do those shows really have to do with each other? They actually have more to do with each other than you would think, because both Dorara, what both Dorara and Black Lagoon do really well, that is 
difficult to do for Dorara and more easy to do for Black Lagoon is they create a background setting that feels vibrant and real in a way that it in a way that it bec almost becomes a character in the story it becomes important to the story where they are in terms of Dorara that is a one to one with this show it takes Dorara takes place in Ikebukuro and has a lot of um, similarities to Ikebukuro Westgate Park for a bunch of reasons. Black Lagoon is a little bit different. It invents a fantasy city for its show to take place in, and that is hugely necessary because of the sheer violence of Black Lagoon. It can't take place in a country like Japan, or else they would all be in jail forever. Um, just straight up. But what Ikebukuro, what, um, what, I'm going to call it, I'm just going to use the abbreviation, what, what IWGP lacks that Dorara, it's like closest one-to-one -one comparison, has, is it lacks the kind of adept use of almost community styling that happens in Dorara that would help would help if it happened more in this show in IWGP. And the reason why I say that is because one of the big difficulties with portraying the kind of story they want to talk about, they want to tell in um, this show, is that you need to create a space for that to happen. You need to create a really clear and believable and, like, sustainable space for it to happen. And this, the space that this show makes for its main concept and its main character gets shaking and shaking as time goes on and isn't really super well drawn out or established to begin with. And... To show you kind of what that space looks like, I'm actually going to refer to a book that got turned into an HBO series that I also talked about on this podcast. You could go um, and see, you can go listen to that episode in the feed in whatever app you can listen to me right now. But that story is Tokyo Vice. So what Jake Alstein, the author, the author of Tokyo Vice, who is also the main character and he's also, he is a vice crime reporter in Japan. It's like, he still does it. He's still there. You can follow him on Instagram now because his daughter let him, like, op turn his Instagram loose on the public. And it's great. Um, it's mostly him arguing with cleaning robots of some kind. But, um, he wrote that book at, he wrote the book Tokyo Vice as a kind of life insurance policy because he pissed off a gangster who would kill him otherwise? <laughs> um, but, and so he wrote that book to be like, hey, what's up? If you're wondering why I'm dead now, this is the dude. <laughs> just, just try to, just think for a couple seconds and put one and one together and you'll get there. Um, but the thing that he does really adeptly that he establishes 
a vibe and a environment that he's inhabiting as a person. And then he all the and then he makes very clear all the characters that he that he encounters in that environment with that vibe. And so you get this understanding that there is this criminal underworld to Tokyo and to Japan that can exist and he it, it functions under very clear rules, very clear guidelines and in very clear ways. And then the whole story goes from there. This show is dealing IWGP is dealing with a slightly different thing. It's dealing with one part removed from the Yakuza. It's dealing largely with what um, the dollars refer to as color gangs. What, um, not the dollars, what Dorara referred to as color gangs. What are known as gangs. Think, think not the mob, but like the Bloods and the Crips. But here's where we run into issues. The, and this is somewhat true in the in Dorara, although Dorara has Dorara is a show that has the teeth to really like make a like Bloods or Crips style gang more believable and more um, have more weight to it than um, I an IWGP does. In that like. In Dorara, the color gangs do some do some fucking shady shit, and they're like around, and they're and they are around as more than a plot device or more than like a threat. Like when you're introduced to the dollars in Dorara, you're introduced to the to the dollars as a group as four main characters with a fucking van. Getting into some fucking shit. Here, the G-Boys and the Red Angels, the two opposing color gangs in, um, in IWGP, are more conceptual and they're less... They seem less antagonistic towards each other and more, like peacekeepers almost until the story needs them to be antagonistic towards each other and then it's no whole bar and whereas in something like Dorara the uh, the dollars um I forget the other um gang the, the yellow ones the ones um the ones led by his friends Led by led by best friends, um, led by best friends. All seem antagonistic, but they all also seem like they've taken great care to stay out of each other's shit. And in Dorara, the like, they do the same thing. They establish a very clear like boundary of boundary between the normal world and the fucked up criminal world criminal underworld where like the color gangs are involved and there's like mystic shit involved and it's all slightly a nightmare and that's where you get Isaiah that's where you get the, the most it breaks out of that is um blonde guy what's his name is like occasionally 
uh, I think his name is Saito. Saito, the blonde guy, will like throw a stop sign at Isaiah from like a half a block away. I'm like, that is like people freak out, but also people are like, oh yeah, if you hang out in Ikabukuro. They just fight each other. Like, there is some collateral damage, but, like, we don't... We can't stop that. The cops are clearly not doing anything about it. And they're not going to maliciously hurt you. Like, if you stay out of the way, you'll... Pro- There's, like, a 95% chance, chance you will be fine. And so... That creates that clear boundary. And then they've created kind of a sandbox... Within that boundary that they can play with all the characters in. And that what makes um, Dorara so much fun. This, it wants, so what this show wants to do is it wants to, wants to almost tell a story in the, like, same, literally the same setting as Dorara, with some of the same story elements of Dorara, but it really wants a character who feels more like Rock from Black Lagoon. And, um, what I mean by that is, the main character, um, the main character, um, Makoto Majima, is, is a notor- is like an infamous, what they call, troubleshooter in the show, which means that he's essentially a, um, arbiter between, between two sides, and he also, he'll, like, help you figure out what hap- happened to some pe- what happened to, like, your boyfriend, or what happened here, or what happened there. Or he'll deal, he'll deal with stuff with you. He'll help you deal with stuff. And, the, there are, I'm not here to say that this show is terrible. It's mostly fine. The problem is that it's playing in an arena that, the stuff it's doing won't cut it because that stuff is done in other shows of a similar ilk that will just serve you better. And so the two gangs here are the G-Boys who've been around forever and a new gang, a fairly new gang called the Red Angels. And the Red Angel, the G-Boys are led by um, Makoto's it's, you have to kind of take a lucky stab at this, but um, the G-Boys are led by this character named Takashi Ando, who, they do a good job, if you know what you're looking at in this show, of demonstrating that, like, dude's, dude's connected. Dude's, like, he, he knows some people and some families. Um, and so he, his gang clearly has the blessing of the Yakuza to operate and to, like, keep the peace. And, like, the G-Boys serve this kind of peacekeeper function in this this show's version of, Aki, of Akihabara. And when you, like, come in and you're fucked up on drugs and you've, like, hurt some people because you're fucked up on drugs you, like, eventually kind of get stealthily or not so stealthily rooted towards this, um, called, towards this park called Ikabukuro Westgate Park 
in which you show up on a performance stage and Takashi literally kicks the shit out of you. <laughs> and you wake up in the hospital and like, you've learned your lesson. So like, don't fuck around. And the G-Boys are all part of that. Like, they, they all, like, they, they acted like the human funnel, like, kind of moving you through the ecosystem of Ikabukuro to get to that point. And then Takashi is like, well, my turn, and punches the guy's lights out. They introduce um, Kyoichi, the leader of the Red Angels, as this guy who just... A ballet performer from Chicago... And they give him tattoos. The tattoos are... Listen. Most tattoos in anime are not going to be 9 out of 10 tattoos. Are not, are not going to be 10 out of 10 tattoos. They're not even going to be 5 out of 10 tattoos. Even the show about kids with tattoos which, which they use to fight. The tattoos are not great. The, the reason why Revy, as a character, her tattoos... Her, her tattoo is so iconic is because it feels like a real tattoo people would have. It doesn't feel like tattoo clip art put in the center of someone's body, which is very much what, um, what Kyoichi's tattoos feel like. They feel like bad tribal tattoos, like in not the right place. And they're, and they're very clearly meant to, like, Display that he's a rebel, but, like, you see these tattoos and, like, they can be covered by his shirt very easily. Like, like all these, like, things. Like, if you were, like, a real rebel and wanted to look like you were, like, a badass with tattoos, that's not wh what, you, what you would get or where you would get them. And so, like, that introduces, that introduces the, two, the two leaders of the gang. Kyoichi is the head of the Red Angels, and... Takashi at the head of the G-Boys. And... Here's the thing that, like... Every show has to do this. And I get it. But it... There's different variations of it. So, um... Let me actually pull up the page for the, um... For the... Uh, for the, uh, for Dorara, because I want to get the gang names correct. Um, they have to make two factions, right? Um, and these two factions have to be believable. And in Dorara, you have the dollars, and I, I'm pulling it up right now to, like, get the... In the in Dorara, you have a bunch of um, different get you have a bunch of different forces, but primarily the one of the main forces is um, is the dollars, and then there are different color gangs based with different colors. There's the green one, the yellow one, and they all have different names that represent that represent them pretty well. The problem with IWGP is that it they use such a stereotypical way of coming up with gang names 
that it it a it feels corny like G boys doesn't really feel like it fits. It feels like it's culturally appropriating a lot of hip hop stuff. That's not great. And the Red Angels just doesn't really do it super well either. At, whereas you look at something super recent like um, Tokyo Revengers and you have Valhalla, you have the Tokyo Majin Gang, you have... Um, they mention gangs all up and down that show and they all feel realistic and they all feel like actual gangs. I think there's another one called like the Blue Dragons or something. And it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel forced... It, none of those things feel like they are borrowing or cribbing from other cultures or other other cultures or other like a oh, black dragons is the is the one it's a um is one of the other gangs feel like the other cultures or other or other like countries and it gives it a much better feel and also they like there in Tokyo Avengers, it's like it's bike, it's like young biker gang. So you have like the young biker gang uniform look, which is like a very specific thing if you've ever seen it. Here it's just like everybody who wants to be on the team wears blue, and they have a scene in the first episode where everybody's like slowly putting on blue stuff, and it starts to be a little. Hilarious, like at the point at which you get to somebody who pulled out a pair of blue Beats headphones, you just kind of can't help but laugh. It's just it it's fairly funny. Of like, this is the least I could do. And like, yes, that is very much a gang culture thing, but also it requires knowing it's a gang culture thing. So um, there used to be a there was a show on um. On HBO Max, actually, called The Hype. And it was a streetwear show. And they had this challenge where they had to make streetwear based off of using, I think, recycled materials. And there were two, there were two contestants, one of which almost won. And the other of which just, like, got eliminated that week. Um... And both of them used bandanas. So if you know anything about, like, late 80s, 90s gang culture, you will know that, like, the red and blue bandana are very, have very specific, a very specific place in gang culture and in, like, African American history and all that stuff. They're, one of these two contestants used just kind of like, was very careful to not use red and blue bandanas. Like, he used, he, I think he used almost exclusively blue and gray. And, like, he used it all in a way that was very not screaming at you, hey. And then, the other one, straight up, made a jeans, essentially a jeans jacket out of bandana material, where half of it was red, half of it was blue. And I was like, Somebody could get shot in that bullshit. And sure enough, every single every single judge on the show was like somebody like you could get somebody fucking killed. 
<laughs> what is wrong with you? Get out of here. And so playing with that, like, imagery is a, with, with those colors in terms of, like, gangs is evocative. It is... Um, it is meaningful. But, like, the thing about... The thing that... Um, that Dorara gets right here is when they, like, deal with color gangs, they use it as, like, they use bandanas a lot. They use the, like, gang colors in the way that you would imagine gang color. It's not, like... And the show kind of brings this up later in that, like, people on the street who are just wearing red or just wearing blue who aren't part of either of these gangs are getting the shit kicked out of them because they're wearing those colors. But, hey, that doesn't play super, that doesn't play super great, because if these gangs have existed in this area for a while, then, as in many blood equipped neighborhoods, you learn, like, I'm not going outside wearing blue in a blood neighborhood, I'm not going outside wearing red in a crip neighborhood, like, blah, 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 you just learn to not do those things. And the fact that, like, the populace of this city, of this section of the city, had not just learned not to do that is a little insane. But, like, the other thing is, it's like, these gangs don't, don't fucking do anything. They just straight up don't do anything. They don't, like, they don't act in any way other than when they were affronted, or like any of, or any of that bullshit. There is some like, hey, if you join this gang, I can help you and protect you. But that's about it. And here's why I want to talk about the like, the main character, um, Mak Makoto Majima. He and his mother run a fruit stand, and he is specifically not a member of the G-Boys, although he's really close friends with Takashi. But he's this kind of man of the people. He's just like, he's a local, he also writes a, he also writes a um, music column in a newspaper. And so like, he's kind of the community fixer, is the best way I would describe him. But, they just don't, a, they pick really complicated problems for him to solve. And B, they... they This show feels like it keeps wanting to have serious, interesting looks at things. And then it almost doesn't. It, like, almost gets there and then doesn't. Is what I want to say. And in addition to that, they have this through-line bad guy who you never see... You never, you never see who the bad guy is. It's who the ultimate bad guy is. You never really like the the tells that they're involved are either not clear enough, or they are only involved in a few things. Where in this show, 
what the show ends up wanting to be about ultimately is um gentrification and like the the consequences of gentrification and what it looks like when a when a neighborhood changes from one thing to another and they demonstrate this with the characters of Takashi and of Makoto and with the like world they grew up in versus the world that the that versus the the Ikebukuro that they grew up in versus the Ikebukuro that is like starting to happen around them and on one level this show has an interesting thing to say about gentrification and the consequences and ways that big companies a benefit from it and b want it to happen more than you would imagine so the kind of underlying plot of this is that there's a company that is trying to redevelop Ikebukuro and if you don't know what that if that's a real thing it it is common enough in Japan for this show to be about it for many shows to be about to have an element of it but also as far back as the early aughts if you look at something and I've covered this show on the on the podcast fairly recently actually um magical shopping arcade Abanabashi it starts out with these kids in this kind of struggling like working class urban environment that is being massively redeveloped around them and like the main character the main character of the show the male protagonist has been pushed out of his house into a small like apartment into an apartment complex and his house is actively be like has been torn down and is actively a construction zone they're very clear about this and that's not an uncommon thing um and that happens largely because there's only so much land in japan because it's an island nation they do keep redeveloping and like breaking and rebuilding and breaking and rebuilding that's a lot of what the end of shin godzilla is about actually is the like virtue in that but at the like very edges of most of the episodes of this show is this like kind of similar malicious actor who's like kind of trying to massage things into breaking down so they can come in fix everything and get a lot of ink get a lot of land for cheap and then build it up and print money basically but they don't really they don't do as good a job as something like Abinabashi does at showing the real community of the people who are here to begin with which sounds odd when I tell you when I told you about the main character Makoto being the fixer that people come to. A, 12 episodes is not a lot of time. So, a kind of genius thing that Abinabashi does with his episodes is that you see a version of all the side characters in every single version of Abinabashi. Because it's an alt, it's like a, 
it's a like multiverse travel kind of show where you see different versions of the town iterated on over and over again in that show. And so like the there's a character named Mr. Kohei and I, I posted this clip on um on in on TikTok and it exploded because it's one of the most like insane fucking over the top stereotypically American clips you can find from anime. It's hilarious. And Mr. Kohei is this like Tokyo style ruffian who runs a hot dog stand. <laughs> and you see him in ev- in almost every single iteration and he's different but he's the same kind of he's the same character design with like a slightly different as- with like a slightly different treatment and by doing that what the show does is it gives you a sense of community it shows you that like oh they know Mr. Kohei they know Mr. Kohei their entire lives all this other stuff the fact that the people who come to Makoto are almost exclusively, I want to say, people he's never met before, or people who are new to the area, or, like, something like that, does not give you the impression that he is... that, like, this is a real community. It gives you the impression that, like, he's helping out the weirdos... Which is fine if you want to go with that, but they really want him to be like a community guy. And he and he just doesn't feel like it. And they do they do an okay job of reusing characters and reusing characters, especially in the finale, to help you like feel like he keeps in touch with people and like this had become a real community and everybody's like in it together but for the most part you don't have a real grasp or feel for the area you you feel like you're starting to get there by the very end but you don't feel like the show has has given you a clear view of like oh this is this community this is this this is this area. This is these are the people who live here, and these are stories about people who live here. Like I keep saying, they they get there, but they don't get there all the way, and it doesn't like the setting doesn't feel as lived in as it should. And I can keep naming shows that do that do similar things really well. That like they create a vibrant like. Un, almost unnamed cast of characters like um, Abanabashi like Abanabashi shopping okay even something like eccentric family has this they use the cast of characters there to create this like community in Osaka that exists of like supernatural creatures which is all up in each other's shit all the time and here it doesn't feel like that and I think I think that's super necessary if you want to tell a sh- if you want to tell a story about a place if you want to like tell a story about a place like say 
you let's look at American example. If you want to tell a story of like kind of like the musical Rent, or the musical West Side Story, or even a musical like Grease, lots of musicals about like communities, hilariously. You or Footloose, you have to give people a cast of character and make strong use of those characters that around the main character. They do that expertly in show in something like Black Lagoon, where Rock is yes he's the new guy, but they give everybody reasons to want to deal with him, and by even the midpoint of that show, you know, actually by the second by um Roberta Blood Trail, the one of the first scenes in Roberta Blood Trail is Rock walking down the street with Revy. And a kid picks his pocket, and Rebby takes the wallet back from the kid. And it's like this. <laughs> and the kid all of a sudden realizes, like, oh, fuck. I stole, that guy I just stole from wasn't a room. It was rock. <laughs> Oops. I gotta, I gotta be not here so I don't get shot in the foot by, by this bitch of a bodyguard slash girlfriend. And Rock has, like has the place, Rock in Black Lagoon, has the place in the kind of ecosystem of Rowanapur that this show wants Makito, Makito to have in the ecosystem of of this show's version of Ikabukuro. But the difference is, they can't really Show, like, they can't really get there. A, because they don't have the same amount of runway as Black Lagoon did, which has a lot of material that, like, establishes all this stuff. But B, it... It's just not doing the work. And like I said, I think there are good things to the show. I think that it... It has... It has the... Just sheer brass cojones to kind of do its attempt to tackle things like, you know, family poverty. It has this the cojones to tackle like immigration law. It has the thing. It has the like the desire to tackle these things. Does it always tackle those in an absolutely fabulous way? No. It straight up at one point is like, listen, we're, we're gonna have a conversation about like xenophobia and like about xen about Japanese xenophobia and like what it looks like and why it's shitty, but also why like some of the answers to it are shitty. We're gonna we're gonna real both sides this racism thing, kind of what they attempt to do, and. That episode is actually the... That episode is actually the most successful. And that, like, last... And that episode is kind of the last stretch of it. It's, it's kind of the second to last arc of it. And, but also continues in the very background. Like, you barely notice it. In the last arc of the show. And if the show had been about dealing with these, like, shady overseas developers 
who are trying to constantly get in on this city, on this part of the city, and redevelop it to their benefit, the show could have been stronger. And I... It just doesn't do that. It does. It's not interested in that. It's not interested in exploring that enough to make to make it such a central thing. Where like somebody. The, so I'll give you a perfect example. Somebody in the very first episode of the show. Spoilers, I guess. Is you are introduced to the show through this guy. Driving driving a van high through Ikebukuro, and he, like, clearly hit people. He clearly injured people. I think he killed... I think he ultimately almost killed somebody. And then he's, like, unser He's clearly being chased. He's unceremoniously gets out of this car, crashes his car in front of Ikebukuro Westgate Park, which a bunch of people hanging out. And then he, like, stumbles into the crowd, and everybody in the crowd gives him a shove up to the front of the crowd. And ultimately gets him on stage. And once he's on stage, and um, Takashi comes out, and everybody like looks up and they put on their blue shit. This is the hilarious scene where like you see somebody get out blue headphones, and you're like, oh fuck, it's the blue beats. We in for it. Um, but you later find out that guy was on drugs, sold from this one shop, and they. They go about, like, dealing with this shop because the shop had... Because that guy killed this girl's mother and this girl is now, like, a walking... Like, a walking rage factory and wants to murder somebody. And so, they're like, we need to fix this before a small child stabs somebody in the streets. Um... And you find out later that, like... How does that shop come to have the, like, resources to do this? Like, what... The fuck? How did this happen? And they realized that somebody shady was pulling the strings behind that, trying to disrupt things so they could buy a building. And then, at various points throughout the show, they come back to that. And then at the very ending of the show, they go all the way back to the first episode. And they're like, oh, these are the same people who were trying to do this. They were, they've kind of been trying to get out of this whole time. The show could have been more explicit about that and it would have helped it. It would have created the kind of environment I think they were looking for. And it would have created the... It would have started to create a framework for telling a story about gentrification, about gentrification and a story about community in... A setting that feels like something like a cross between Black Lagoon and the um, and Dorara that would have been really interesting, and you could have had this interplay between these street punk guys and these and like boardroom assholes that would have been very interesting. It would have been a conversation about. The kind of repurposing of neighborhoods at the cost of the current neighborhood. And that's something that's not thought about a whole lot, but it's worth thinking about. It's worth looking at. The, like, the explicit thing that is 
stated in Dorara, in, in, not in Dorara, but in Black Lagoon, is that Rowanapur exists, the very, it's a very specific ecosystem built around and for some fucked up people. And all of, and the kind of backing of Black Lagoon, of um, Roberta's blood trail, is that like, it's all taking place in a way to, like that entire story is taking place as a result of like, black, of like, Rowanapur not wanting the CIA in that city at all. Like, none of the power plays in um, Rowanapur want the CIA there. They don't know that Etta, the Etta, the, like, gun-toting blonde bitch of a priest, of a, of a nun from the um, rip-off church, is a CIA agent. Or even if they do, they're fine with it. They're like, ah, fine. They have agents everywhere. We just don't want, like, a head office here. <laughs> like, a headquarters here. And that whole story takes place partially to keep the CIA the fuck out of that city. This show, IWGP, is constantly dealing with these shady actors, but A, it never puts a... It, it never shows them to you, and it never puts... It never lets the show play with those actors in a way that makes any kind of sense. In... Black Lagoon, while it's not a lot, they do show you actual people from the American government. And, like, they... They have a character in Revy who has a fucking history, a nightmare history, in New York. In New York City. And they drop that as, like, a nugget for you of, like, okay, this is part of this connection. And eventually you find out about Etta being a fucking plant and it all it all comes together to give you a better framework for if the American government ever finds their way into this criminal hellhole it's gonna fuck everybody up it's gonna fuck everything up for everybody and that's not gonna be good for anybody involved whereas this show it doesn't you don't have a like, you don't have a clear view of the enemy, of, of, of the ultimate bad guy of the show. I imagine if it had been successful enough, you would have ultimately gotten that clear view. But even the view it gives you of the enemy doesn't really lay it out in a great way. Like it, lays it, out, it lays it out in like a... Some this person whispered to this person, and this set off a domino effect that got like this one yakuza guy involved, and the result is like a show that's on shaky ground in a way, and on it is a show that has a lot of things, has a lot of elements in its favor to be a show that was successful. Because, once again, it, it has a kind of feel of a show like Dorara, or even Dorara's predecessor, Bacano. But it just, it's not using its, 
It's not using those things in the correct way to get it to where it wants to go. And it's a shame because I think it has a lot of good ideas. It has... It has a unique... Modern... Hip-hop influence interpretation of the of the, its concepts but it's not if you wanted something that felt more like this in anime form uh, honestly I would go watch Air Gear Air Gear feels like it has a lot of what this show is attempting it has a lot of what this of stuff that the show is not even coming close to because it's just a different subject matter. Air Gear is a, like, extreme sports competition show, and this is a, like, gang drama. But what Air Gear is doing with its, like, skater gangs is so much more of what I... has, has in it so much more of what I think this show wanted to have in it and this show wanted to play with and it has and it it even has on some core level just like very early on in that show is like hey these are the these are like the big guys these are like the this is the big group and they suck and this is why and this show just doesn't do that particularly well but on that note, if you like this podcast, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and at this point every other Sunday. Um, Thursday are shows usually more like this. It's more about a show or a property. Um, the next show, I think, might actually end up being about um, that new Brad Pitt movie, Bullet Train, because that movie looks like a fucking ride and a half and I think it would be a great thing for this show and it takes place in Japan and I think there's a Yakuza group involved so it's for a great Brad Pitt movie episode here I guess um but um the next Sunday edition I don't know what it's gonna be at I haven't decided yet but that will be coming up I believe this Sunday I have to look um no, it'll be coming up in two Sundays. Um, because, like I said, it's every other Sunday. But if you like anything that you've heard, definitely subscribe. You can't If you're already subscribed and you want more up-to-date info on the podcast, you can actually follow us on Instagram at... I think it's lunchbox underscore radio is what I got. Um, uh, lunchbox radio underscore podcast. Lunchbox, all one word, underscore podcast. Um, I try to post promo stuff for the podcast there, along with, um, just, like, fun anime junk. So definitely go check that out. Um, but on that note, I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and we'll talk to you next Thursday.